<laughs> oh, goodness. Um, turn with me, please, in the scripture to uh, Psalm 87. Psalm 87. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 87. If it's on your phone, roll that phone out to Psalm 87. I'm going to read to you in the New King James Version. And uh, talk to you about the Lord's goodness to the church, to us. Hallelujah. Psalm 87, verse 1. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Stop and think about it. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon and, uh, to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this one was born there. But of Zion, and of Zion it will be said, of Zion, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs are in you. Father, thank you for your word. We just bless the word, the reading of the word in this house. And I pray, Lord, you'll open up our hearts to see what you have given to us as a group of people and as a body of friends. Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies we've heard today of how you have quickened and moved through the family and the body of friends. And I pray, Father, that you'll quicken our hearts today to see what, how you view us and how you view the church and what is your heart toward us. Hallelujah. I'm just going to take this scripture and do my most favorite thing. Just preach the word to you. <laughs> Verse 1, his foundations are in the holy mountains. His foundations are in the holy mountains. The church is built on a foundation. This is talking about the city of God, which we are. The church is the city of God. But these fa the foundations of the city of God are in the holy mountains. Now, look, uh, or make note, or look, you probably don't have time to look. Hebrews 10, 11, the scripture says that Abraham looked for a city that had foundations. So the first person that God called into the realm of faith was looking for something. He was looking for us. Do you realize that? He was looking for us. He was looking for a city that had foundations. He lived in tents. He was mobile. He, had, he, he raised his family out like a Bedouin or whatever. And he was looking for a city. And we think, well, he was looking for, you know, Jericho or somewhere like, uh-uh. He was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And so this foundation that Psalm 87 is talking about is the foundation that was laid in the, for the body of Christ, for the church of Jesus Christ. 
Paul said there is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, Him crucified. There's no other foundation to start laying your building on than the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the first cause. And so this is what Abraham was looking for. He was looking for the city that had foundations, whose builder and whose maker was God. So the foundations are in the holy mountains. So think about holiness is a wonderful thing. And the foundations of God are in the holy mountains. They're not just anywhere. He had a working of holiness that he had to do. And how the foundation was laid was laid in holiness. It was laid through God's holiness. Like, well, I want to build something, but I've got to get, you know, some holiness going or whatever. There is no other holiness than holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we're like, if we enter into holiness, we're entering into the holiness that he has given to the foundations of holiness that he has given. So this, I want to read to you a little section from John Stark. Uh, it's a book on prayer where he's talking about God as holy. The prophet Isaiah tells us his experience before the throne of God in Isaiah 6. Isaiah came before the foundations that are in the holy mountains. God lifted him up, opened his eyes, and he saw God. He was before the throne of God. The Lord was sitting on the throne, and the train of his robe completely filled that temple. Above the Lord were seraphim. They were flying. They had six wings. They were covering their feet, covering their face. And then they used two of them to fly. And so... There's the feet. In the ancient Israelite culture, feet were seen as immodest and should not be exposed. Uh, one time when Amukta first came, she, I, was, I guess I was just ly lying in the bed or something, and Amukta came to sit down to talk to me, and she accidentally touched my feet. And you would have thought she had done some horrendous thing. And she said, oh, that's a disrespect. I can't touch your feet. Your feet, that's wrong to touch your feet. So in the Eastern culture, feet had a certain place of, uh, that needed to be covered and not touched. And so they covered with their wings, they covered their feet, they covered their faces because of the sight of this God. And then they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what they were crying out. Have you ever wondered what that actually does mean? Now I want you to imagine with me how we think of holy. Can you imagine the angels crying out, moral, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Think about this. Like, 
Isaiah is before the throne of God. You're reading Isaiah 6 and the words say, moral, moral, moral is the Lord God Almighty. That doesn't quite seem to capture what's happening. It domesticates God. It domesticates him to think holy means moral. Or that he's completely other. Again, imagine this. Other, other, other. That still leaves something missing. So when they're crying out, holy, 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 what they're crying out and what, they, what he, the angels are crying out and what Isaiah saw was fire. That God is a consuming fire. His holiness is not about moral, 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 or other, other, other. It is about fire, fire, fire. And what did Isaiah say when he saw it? He said, I am undone. So when he saw the holiness of God, this consuming fire, he realized something inside of him started breaking up. Something inside of him started breaking down, breaking up. Because he saw something that had power in it to consume something in him. That's what holy is. That's the foundations of church. Church is not about a place where you go to discuss God. Church is about a place where you go to experience the wonder of who he is and to be together, engaged together in watching him work and do his wonders. And so though he is definitely, he would not ever be considered immoral, Though, when you think about Jesus, how many times did they tell Jesus, this guy's immoral? He's a drunk. He's, he's a, a drunk, a wine-bibber. He hangs out with uh, IRS people. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. I'll, I'll try not to do that anymore. He hangs, he hangs out with people that we're scared of. <laughs> So in Jesus, in his life, people were saying, though he was the very image of the Father and the fire of God, his working, and when he comes into us by the Holy Spirit, when he puts the foundation into us, for put us into the church, he begins to work and cleanse, and it's a fiery cleanse. It's not like, well, i got to quit doing this, i got to stop this, I'm never going to get, oh gosh, I'm never going to get that done. You know, when the prodigal son came home, he was coming back. He'd done some dumb stuff. <laughs> and he was coming back. I love the way John Stark described this. He said, we come to God with speeches. And he comes to us with hugs. We come to God with speeches. Well, Lord, if I, if I get this, I get this. I think I can do this. I think I'll do better this time. Ah, da, 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 da. We come with speeches to the one who is not moral, 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 or other, other, other. We come before him not with speeches. We just come before him who is fire. And he undoes us on the inside. He begins to break down our defenses and the things in us that think, well, I, can, I think I've got this figured out. I've got this Christianity thing figured out. I think i got this. He begins to break it down and burn the things. And so in Isaiah, when he's there before the throne of God, in holy, 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 
the angel said, took a coal off of the altar and put it on his mouth and said, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is purged. This has touched your lips. I want to encourage you to know when you're coming in church or you're coming to God as a member of any of a church, any church, not just this one, anyone. If you're in the body of Christ, when you come to God, you're coming to a holy mountain. And you're not coming to a place of moral, 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 and other, other, other. You're coming to a place of fire that undoes you on the inside, begins to break you down and burn the things he wants burned and build up the things he wants built up. And so by the time the Spirit was done with him, in this holy mountain, Isaiah said, the Lord was talking, I guess, just amongst himself, who can we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, See, here am I. Send me. We think we're never good enough. You'll never be good enough. We think we're never good enough. And there's always a devil that's going to tell you you're never good enough. Someone was telling me before the service that the enemy was just really attacking and, and really bearing down on their home. And I remembered, I think it was Martin Luther who woke up. And the devil himself... You know, the devil himself comes out for people that lead reformations. <laughs> the devil himself was at the foot of his bed. And he looked up and said, oh, it's you. Oh, it's you. You'll never be ready. Never good enough. Never. Come to the one who is fire. Come to the one who is fire. Come to the one whose presence is a consuming fire, a burning in you, an undoing in you, and a, a changing in you by his very presence. We come with speeches, and the Father interrupts us with kisses and a feast. His foundation is in the holy mountain. His foundation is in holiness, but it's in the holiness that he has provided. It's in the fire of the blood of Jesus Christ. You come with your speech, he'll interrupt you with kisses and a feast. Verse 2. I think it's verse 2. Yeah, it's verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So here you are in the holy mountain where the presence of the Lord is fire to work on the inside of you. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. Zion, let's look just for a few minutes at Zion. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 says, concerning the church, concerning us, in Hebrews 12, 22, you can put this in your notes, look at it later, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's describing to them what they have entered into by faith. You have come 
to Mount Zion. Our faith takes us to the place where God is working and working in reality in the realm of the invisible. Zion, I've mentioned this to you recently, but I want to refresh it. Zion is the mountain on which King David pitched the tent, where God's presence was there without preliminaries. His presence was there to be entered into without preliminaries. It represents a New Testament church as a place where the presence of God resides on the earth. The tent of meeting where the glory of God comes. That's who we are. We have come to this place where the preliminaries are set aside. And around the clock, 24-7, they were worshiping and praising and honoring Him and making notes, recording what He had done, writing down the answers to prayer. At Zion, David tapped into the essence, or he released what he had tapped into of the essence of God's heart. In Acts 13.22, Paul said, God sought out a man after his own heart. And in 1 Samuel 13.14, when Saul failed, God spoke to Samuel and said, I have provided for myself a man after my own heart. But at that point, Samuel didn't know who it was. Because he was still like mourning that his last idea didn't work. <laughs> Did you ever mourn your last idea didn't work? Oh my gosh! Yes! <laughs> I've found a man after my own heart. This man after God's own heart that he identified, who was the one who raised up the type of the church in Mount Zion in the Old Testament. This man after God's own heart, he was a lover of God when he was out in the sheepfolds. He had a love for God. This is the heart that is the heart that goes into Zion. This is who we are to be. This is what God has called us to be. We have come to this place where you have a heart reality, where you have a love of God expressed. You know, I'm, a, I'm very, I have, I'm like, oh gosh, I need deliverance on the subject of communication. I might have a lot of affection for someone, care about someone, and never say a word, never tell it. Never communicate it. I'm bursting with love for you, but you'll never know it. Because I'm holding it in, man. I'm not going to express this. But what it was, it wasn't just that David had a heart after God, that he had love for God. He had love for God expressed. He made up songs. That is a big piece of the Psalter. That is a big piece of the book of Psalms. He made up songs. He created instruments. He just made up instruments. Like, oh, I'd like to have this kind of sound. I wonder what kind of a blade of grass can give me that. And so he was making up instruments while he's out there with the sheep. Because the love he had in him, this is why God loves Zion. The love he had in him, he expressed it. It wasn't just something... Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going, oh yeah. Me and Jesus, I keep it to myself, you'll never know what's going on. Got it all worked. 
got it all worked out. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, it was expressed, and it was expressed in a way. Remember when David was like bringing the ark of God, and he's coming into the town, and he's got this wife who's like kind of, actually, she's Saul's daughter. And she's watching him, and he's dancing, oh, yeah. And so he just took off his king stuff. He took off all of his other Like, he was down to his underwear. Now, of course, his underwear was like a linen tunic. I mean, he was, like, all covered up. He wasn't, like, busting out a move in a Speedo or something. He was completely covered up. But there he was. And so she looks out and says, oh, you're disgusting, You're disgusting because when he's before the Lord and doing business about the presence of the Lord, he expressed his joy. He expressed his heart. He praised. He worshiped. He lifted up songs. He made up songs. He danced before the Lord. I thought it was so much fun last week when we broke out. Uh, You know, it makes me want to shout. Lift your hands up, shout. And you guys just broke out. It was so cool. I thought, well, who had ever thought that, whoever that was, I can't remember. I don't think it was Otis Redding, but it was somebody from back in the day. It wasn't a church song or a church person singing it. But it was a reality of where we were when Mike Bracken gave his testimony. You know, it makes you want to shout. And so... David, King David, he had a love for God that was expressed. He might have wrote that song, who knows? Secondly, King David had courage against the enemy. If you think, oh, I'm a Christian now, the devil will never bother me. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. I'm a Christian now. Christians can't have devils. Well, you want to split hairs with the devil about that and say, hey, you can't bother me because I'm a Christian. I can promise you, the more you're going on with God and turning toward Him and yearning and leaning into Him, the more the enemy will have strategies against you. And so David, when nobody could see what was going on, he had courage against, he had courage against the enemy before Goliath ever came out and taunted he had courage against the enemy in private. And so I love, um, well, actually, this started with Stephen Covey, with about private victories and public victories. That's in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. But I noticed Bethel has picked that up. And so talking about the private victories that we get in prayer, they precede the public victories. And so David had these private victories. He was whomping up on a, a lion who thought he was going to take a sheep. He got himself, a, he went after a bear. Have you ever seen, like bears are scary. Um, <laughs> well, I guess lions are scary too. <laughs> well, hello. Uh, this courage against the enemy that he had in his private, it came into the public arena. But this is the heart of the person that God said, I like this guy. He's going to raise up the type of the church in Mount Zion, and out of his loins will come the Christ. Not out of Levi. Not out of the tribe you think a high priest would come out of. 
I'm bringing a priest out of Judah. I'm bringing a savior out of Judah. I'm bringing um, my foundation layer out of Judah. So that's what David did and who he was. God found in David a man after his own heart. And that is Zion. That's what Zion represents. We think of Zion, we think of, uh, of Israel. We think of the Zionist movement or the political implications of Zion, Zionism or, uh, you know, this is like Zion is considered to be Israel. But in the Word of God and in the New Testament, Mount Zion is the church. It is the place where the presence of the Lord is on the earth. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So in verse 2, the Lord says this about Zion. I love the gates of Zion. I love the gates of Zion better, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So I want us to just contrast for a second gates and dwelling places. I love the gates of Zion. What are gates? Gates are entrances. Gates are entrances and opening places. Gates represent something that has a threshold. If I go through this gate, when you go through a gate and you go through an entrance and cross a threshold, you move from one atmosphere to another atmosphere. In many ways, you could be moving from one boundary to another boundary. A gate is a boundary line in some sense. Gates can be open. Gates can be shut. Gates can be open and gates can be shut. They represent opportunities and they represent protection. And so the Lord basically is saying here when he says, I, what? I love the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Gates are excess. So when the Lord looks at us, we are Zion. We are the church of the living God. We are Mount Zion. We are at that. We are partakers in Zion. The place of his presence. And when God looks at us, he says, I want to tell you what I love about you all. I love your gates. I love your gates. I love the places where you open things up. Where you open your heart or you open doors. Where you're willing to move across thresholds. 
and are willing to accept the fact that things need to be opened to move in to new things. I love the gates of Zion. More than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Well, a dwelling place is it's a house. Basically, a house, an apartment, a flat, whatever. And so in Mount Zion, there is this hill, this mountain, that is a place where fire exists and gates are there. And the Lord said, I love that you can go in and out. I love that there's access there. What God set in his church and what he wants us to take hold on is God has gates to open. We open gates for people. We open access for people to come into the presence of the Lord and receive from the Lord, to be healed or to be ministered to, to have the devil driven away from them. That we have the place of access and it resides with us. And if our hearts are hearts like David's heart, where we're willing to say, I will express my love for you. I will fight battles against things that are really scary. Then you are in a place where you can open gates. You're in, a, you're in that place. You're in Zion where gates can be opened and people can have access to the presence of God. You know, if, if you get discouraged and you just shut your heart up from God, it's going to hurt the people that you're becoming in contact with because they will not be able to access the things of God that they could access if your heart was open, if your gates were open, if you were willing to recognize the power of being a gate, a place of access. Gates represent place to be open and enter in and a place of protection and God loves that in the church I love that better than all the places you park yourself and live and say I haven't sinned since 1942 moral 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 is the Lord God Almighty or whatever you may have parked yourself when you put yourself in a spot say oh, I'll just dwell here there is a gate that he wants to open into your life, into your heart, into more affection, into more expressiveness of your love toward him. That's what he loves the best. Verse 3. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Think about it. Of Zion it shall be said... This one and that one were born in her. The Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will count. The Lord will record when He registers the people. This one was born there. That one was born there. So God wants us to be praying and ministering to people, not just to get them to tick off um, 
certain things they're going to do or whatever, but that they might have this fire in them, entered into them, that they might have this expression of love to God coming out of them, that they might have hearts that are like open gates where there can be entrance in and there can be protection, and that we might be able to minister along that vein so that people would say, when the Lord is counting, He's not just saying, here's the number of people that are there. He's saying this one and that one were born in this place of life. I think I told you that, I think it was, I know it was Randy Clark, but I think the figure was like 50% maybe more. It's been some years ago that the denomination that he related to, Randy was originally American Baptist, the denomination he was relaying to, the Southern Baptists, had said they thought maybe 50% of their membership were born again. When the Lord is counting, He's not counting that 50% that are not born of His Spirit and in His presence. He is counting those who have yielded their hearts to Him and let the Holy Spirit bring life into them that they might be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said to Jesus, what, what is it that you mean? What is it that I need to do first? And Jesus said, well, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? Crawl back in my mother and come out again? And Jesus said, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't understand about the moving of the Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit? That you don't understand how the fire of God is in the church and how he's going to move through fire and through the presence of the Holy Spirit and how he's going to cleanse and life and quicken and make us full of resurrection life. Because that is how he does, how he does it. How are we going to pray for people to be healed? How's it going to happen? I don't have the right amount of faith. I don't have that all figured out yet. I can tell you how it's going to happen. We're going to pray and we're going to keep on praying. We're going to stand and we're going to keep on standing. And we're going to stand in a place where we're increasing more and more and more in resurrection power. And so our faith will be increasing by the power of the Holy Spirit as he's working in us and taking us on journeys where it's like, okay, I'm dropping the breadcrumbs. I Carol's testimony was perfect for that. He dropped the breadcrumbs for Carol all the way down the line. Here's this, here's this, here's this. And then cap it off with an angel standing in her room or angels there saying, we have come to protect you. Hello, how many of you have had an angel come and tell you I'm here to protect you? I've not ever had anything like that. I'm like, whoa, God. That's a wonderful thing to me, but that happened because of the presence of the God of fire and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not just trying to make a church. We are the church of life with God, and the fire of God is in the church by the Holy Spirit. And so if we see that God loves our gates, and everything that wants to shut gates and shut you out of being a place of openness, where God can move through these gates... Just, hello, just 
Put it aside. Let him do what he does. Let him do what he does. Let him do what he does to cleanse and to work on our hearts. So a lot of glorious things are said about the church because glorious things are done there. This one and that one were born in her, and God will establish her. He has foundations. He has gates and points of access. And he has establishment that takes place by the Holy Spirit. His establishing has to do with how he writes lists. It says that he records when he writes up the people. <laughs> oh, Lord, what does that mean? You're writing. Have you ever been written up? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been written up, but I've been scared I would get written up. Have you ever been written up? God is writing up the people. And when he is writing up the people... What kind of list does he make? The Minor Prophets tells us he records, he makes a list. He listens to people talking with their friends. He's like just listening. You know, the eyes of the Lord are to and fro to see who he can be strong to help. And his ears are open, totally. And so he's listening and he's making a list of those who spoke often to one another who feared the Lord. The Lord made up a list of that, and he said, in the day that I make up my jewels, they will be mine. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I do know this. I want the Lord to hear me. When he hears me, I want him to hear me with fear of the Lord in me. I want him to hear me talking about him and talking about the wonders of who he is and what he does. I fear he's overheard me say some things that it's like, oh, gosh. Did you make a list of that? Oh, God. You make a list of that. Oh, I hope not. Oh, blood of Jesus on this list. So he has chosen us. His foundations are in the fire of his holiness. He loves the way we have access. He has access to us and we give access to others. He loves that better than us finding a place where we can just be comfortable and have a roof over our heads. He does. Better than the dwelling places. Better than the dwelling places. And then he establishes us. and puts us on the list. Father, we love who you are. We love your presence and we love who you are. And Lord, we pray today that as a group of people, you will make up a list and make up a list of us who are hungry for more of you and for the moving of your spirit in our hearts, that there will be fire in our hearts, that as we seek you, lean into you, we can experience what Isaiah experienced when he started being undone by the very presence of that which is fire. I thank you, Father. I pray that as we pray for the sick 
as we minister to people who don't know you to tell them how wonderful you are that we'll be people that are open and have access, that we'll be people that are in foundations of the fire of your Holy Spirit and of the life of your Spirit. And Lord, that out of our hearts, glorious things will be spoken. That glorious things will be spoken of what you have done in us as individuals and in us as a group of people. That that testimony about Mount Zion and the wonder of who you are, that that testimony will be established in us. That glorious things will be spoken. That glorious things will be spoken. That glorious things will be spoken. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's make a fresh commitment to the Lord as a group of people to be people where the fire of the Holy Spirit can have a, have a free course. To be people with hearts that are open so access. God can have access and other people can have access. That never would it be said that you shut up the kingdom against others and you're not even going in yourself that we could have such a heart, open-hearted access by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Let's just make our commitments to the Lord and pray. Thank you, Father. Do what you do, Lord. Work in us. We pray for the fire of your Holy Spirit. We pray that this holiness that is such a different thing than anything we've ever known or heard of, that this holiness that transforms us when we're looking at you will become a part of us. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. This holiness that transforms us while we're looking at you, this fire that Isaiah experienced, that working, that undoing of the Holy Spirit, that you have your way, Lord, that you'll have your way in that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the fire of the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. Thank you that through your work on the cross and the shedding of your blood, we might be born again. And we might be transformed by gazing at the holiness that is your holiness. The fire of that sacrifice and of that blood. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, to blackness and darkness and tempest. This is Mount Sinai. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of the words so that people, when they heard it, they beg, don't speak to me anymore. We have not come to that. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. On Sinai, they didn't want to hear. They said, don't speak. I Mount Zion, the blood of Christ speaks. The blood of Christ speaks. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel that cried out for revenge. So we've not come to a mountain that's so scary we don't want to hear what it has to say. We've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the great king. We are that Mount Zion. We are at that place where the general assembly and the company of all of those who love Jesus are. And at that place we have come to the mediator, Jesus Christ. And there's a voice speaking that draws. On Sinai, the voice frightened them, pushed them away, said, run, run, we're all going to die. What we have come to now is a voice that is the blood of Christ that is speaking better things than revenge and death and darkness. The blood of Jesus is speaking fresh beginnings, new beginnings. The blood of Jesus is speaking you can live again. The blood of Jesus is speaking life, life, life forevermore. The blood of Jesus is saying you're better than what everybody around you says you are. The blood of Jesus is speaking that Jesus loves you so much. He gave it all every drop of that blood, to gather you up. And he, in this place, the voice that's speaking has a magnetism that goes against the natural. In this place, the voice that's speaking, the voice of the blood of Jesus, is drawing your heart to yield more to him. So let's just Say to him, I yield to the speaking of that voice. Speaking of that voice, I thank you, Lord. We're not on Sinai, scared half out of our wits. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your speaking voice. 
It's on this mountain, in this place of your church. Wherever in this world your name is lifted high, in whatever church it's in, there's a voice that is speaking to draw hearts. Thank you for the sound of that voice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I love you guys. Let that voice speak. Let him have his way. Let him draw. Let him complete what he wants to do in us. Let it be so. Let it be written. Let it be done. Thank you, Lord.